In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Real, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Real. It's the same studio. Uh, we get some cool guys in the room. We've had a bunch of uh, uh, musicians on the last couple weeks. We had uh, Ashley Walters on, the top boy himself. Have you seen that TV show? No, I haven't. It's very good. And he used to, to sing for So Solid Crew back in the day, 21 Seconds, 2001, 2002. You know, Giles is, is, is giving me go. the nod here. Yeah. Does he like um, to be called a musician or an actor? Good question. He's, I think he's more of an actor now, but you know, he he uh, he definitely did some singing in the past. But so you know, he's done Hollywood movies. He's an entertainer, yeah. I think encompassing. <laughs> I think he's probably more of an actor. Right. Um, then we had uh, another hip hop guy named Akala on, who he's more of a, a hip hop singer and artist. And then right. yesterday we had a guy named Scroobius Pip who is definitely a that spoken a cool word. Name. He's got yeah. a cool name. He's got a big, long beard, and uh, he's uh, proper legit. And uh, it's really weird. He actually had a stutter as a, as a kid and still has a stutter, even though he performs like right. words for a living. Yeah. So uh, super cool guy, super cool stories. But that's London Real. We're here today to talk tech. My co-host is Colin Pyle, entrepreneur, Crew Coffee. What's going on? Uh, coffee's going well. Busy, busy. Um, what else is going on? Oh, the India ride. So my motorcycle ride around India. Right. It's coming out this month on the travel On the travel channel. channel. Okay. Um, and the China one, it just got picked up by Netflix, So, um, which will be cool because no one watched it the first time around. So. I watched it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Where so was I watched that? It. You watched it. So uh, it was on the travel channel about a year ago, a year and a half ago. It's a good show. Um, I liked it. I so, thought it was fun. So hopefully, you know, we'll get a few more eyeballs. It's him and his uh, brother uh, driving around China on motorcycles for 60 days, getting yeah. the Guinness Book World Record, and you get to see all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and, it's cool. cool. Yeah, it's good. So it's fun. So, so, Old yeah. bikes or um, fast one? So China was uh, BMW 800 GSs. Okay, I like this. India was... A really terrible Royal Enfield. That, oh, okay. That, that hurt after after. They still sell they them over there, I think. In yeah, India. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait and to see that. They don't cost very much, so. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, cool. Road hazards and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, on with the show. Our guest today is Mr. Uh, Giles Palmer, who is the CEO of Brandwatch, uh, which is a company devised to help organizations find and engage with online conversations that matter. You like that? It took us a while to script that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's good, though. Um, you just, just flew in from San Francisco, literally hours away. Um, it's how we roll here at Silicon Reel. Uh, Brandwatch started uh, in 2006 out of Brighton. Yeah. Um, a few uh, milestones for you in 2011. I think you got access to the famous Twitter firehose, yeah. which gave you 100% of their API info in real time. Yeah. All my, my nerd friends think that's the, that's the real shizzle, you know? Um, <laughs> that's you've made it, right? Yeah, that's big. And uh, you've uh, recently raised $22 million. Uh, with the plan to, quote, double down on engineering. That's quoting you. Uh, you've got customers like Whole Foods, Verizon, British Airways, Dell. Uh, Giles, welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Nice to be here. Good intro, right? That's I'm thinking I good. might start just doing intros. Yeah. All right. Like a ring announcer. You know? <laughs> In the red and corner. Hour. I think yeah. I'm actually getting pretty good. The new was, Michael Buffer. I was going to ask if the Silicon Reel limo picked you up okay at the airport. Uh, yeah, I missed it. Oh, what the hell? I missed that too. <laughs> I missed that too. Actually, speaking of pitches, uh, Kevin Hartz yesterday said that I was giving him some good you yeah, know, yeah. nuggets that he could use you know, for Eventbrite. Right? There we go. So, right, I'm done with my own horn. Um, <laughs> on your site, it says you guys crawl over 70 million sources, including blogs and forums and news sites, social networks. Um, you know, we all hear about what big data is. I don't know what the hell big data is. And I was I was wondering if you could tell us what is it that you guys actually do at Brandwatch? Yeah, okay. So um, <laughs> do you get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, you know, my mom still doesn't understand yeah, it. You know, so, <laughs> so we're trying to we're trying to help um, organizations kind of cut through the fog of all of this chat and get to the bits that matter to their business. So you know, what are my customers saying? Um, if, if we take someone like Verizon, if, the, if one of their customers is saying, you know, my contract's coming up, is anybody, is anybody looking at Sprint because I've heard good things, blah, 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 that's a signal that they should be probably picking up on because it's mm. a, a revenue kind of uh, revenue lost opportunity. So it's getting to that kind of, 
getting to the small data almost, trying to get, you, you start off with this huge data set um, and then trying to get through to the bits that matter. And, it, and, it's, and it's fuzzy, it's, it's unstructured. Right. So we've built this platform that allows people to drill into it. You know, it's very flexible, it's very kind of targeted. Um, so that, that's the kind of the, that's the whistle stop. You got this great like infographic on your site where you're like taking all the data and you put it through and you clean it yeah. and then you like parse it and then deliver it into yeah. a, a form. It's like a, it's like a martini glass that you can give to your, to your clients. How important is it to clean the data and what the hell does that mean? Yeah. So there's, there's two or three different kind of things that one is deduplication. So, so even on, um, big sites like daily mail, they'll, they'll push out the same content in five or 10 different places sometimes. So you probably don't need to see it 10 times. So we dedupe uh, across uh, sites and, and across the web. Um, and then there's like, the, the problem with spam. And it's the most prevalent in, say, the pharma industry, where uh, there are quite a, there's quite a lot of black market kind of drug, drug selling kind of companies out there. Um, so if you look for Viagra, if that's your thing, um, uh, online, you're going to find people trying to sell you cheap meds all over the place. So the companies, the pharma companies don't want to know about that stuff. Or, I mean, they do and they don't. When they're, when they're trying to understand if there's any issues around their drugs or if they're trying to understand if, um, you know, trying to help people with information, then getting rid of all of the spam is a, is, is a, is a big deal. So kind of spam detection is a, is a, is a big part of what we do. Hmm. Do you have like algorithms that go in there? Like, for example, that sprint thing that you're talking about. I mean, the, the, the algorithm has to go in there and it can't just look for keywords. It has to look for conversations. And then how do you make metrics out of social conversations? That seems to be the, the, the most difficult thing. Because we've had data companies on before. We had GoSquared on. Yeah. We had, you know, Ometria on. But what you guys is, is really try to convert yeah, so, some of that human information into data, right? Yeah. So, so let's take, let's take um, the Verizon as an example. Yeah. Um, there's a pattern of, of kind of language that people use when they're, when they're in a certain place, when they have a, a specific intent. So things like, I'm looking for, t- thinking about, um, you know, these kind of phrases uh, attached to me. So mine, I, me, thinking about, looking for. And then you kind of, you, you construct a, a query which, which takes those little segments of, converse, of, of kind of, of, you know, patterns of, of words and you, you build this thing and, and you, you basically throw that at the entire data set, the whole kind of online conversation. And it pulls back it, you know, specific conversations, specific um, tweets, in this, as an example, that have that kind of pattern of conversation. Okay. And, and let's take another one. Let's take um, uh, auto companies. We've got a bunch of customers in that, in that space. They're not interested in secondhand cars. You know, that's not their business. Their business is selling new cars. So trying to get rid of all of the conversation online, which mentions, you know, secondhand cars, because there's more chat about selling secondhand cars than there is about new cars and, and reviews and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we end up building a big kind of query, which just gets rid of all of that chat, you know, for sale. Um, there's, a, there's a whole raft of kind of words that people use when they're, when they're talking about selling their second-hand car or even servicing their existing car. So it's getting rid of all of that noise and cutting through the kind of the fogginess of all of that massive data set to get to specific, you know, reasonably small data sets which are actionable. So that's, that's the kind of the secret in, in the whole thing. And, and it ends up being, you know, building these, you ends up with these kind of queries which look like code. Um, you know, they're kind of complex. Um, and that's, there's a lot of, that's where the magic is. How's business? I mean, the weird thing about big data is that no one understands it. Yeah. And it sounds like there's some big data shysters out there that just, you know, take these big corpses and say, you got to do this because you don't know what's going on. And yeah. are there some of those people out there? And, and how do you actually provide real value when these people don't understand the product sometimes? Finding the right person within the organization who knows what their problem is is the kind of the first step, right? So if you've got an individual who works in a, in a company that says, right, this is my specific problem, then you can go after the answer. Where there's like, you know, I've got big data, I, I don't know what to do with this. I'm, Jesus, well, nor do I, frankly. Um, uh, so that's the first thing. Um, there is this, there's a massive hype, hype cycle with it right now. So I don't know what the Gartner kind of hype, hype cycle would look like, but we're, we're definitely in the hype, the hype area. Okay. Um, there's another kind of interesting point on big data is that a lot of this stuff sits within companies. Um, it's their own data. So there's security issues, there's privacy issues. Um, and that's, that's quite interesting, navigating all of that sort of stuff. Um, and then where does it sit? So 
a lot of companies need it, need to have it on site. So we were, uh, you know, working with a Turkish telecommunications company. They have to have all of their data in their on their premises, um, and that's quite tricky for a SaaS company to deal with on-prem data with cloud data. So there's all these kind of annoying and interesting kind of challenges around it. Jeez, but you guys have been this in the long haul. You were saying that earlier. I mean, yeah. you guys are doing this for eight years now. Yeah, you're, I know. You're not it's crazy. Just the latest trend of big data. Right? Yeah. So, so what does that bring when you bring to the table the, the fact that you've been doing this for a long time? Does that give you a lot of credibility with these customers? It's a difficult problem to solve because we're trying to index, you know, the entire open internet in real time, which is a challenge, right? So it took us five years to build the infrastructure to handle that. Um, you know, th there's, there's about a thousand servers that sit behind, that kind of lasso together that sit behind the live application, the live platform. So that took a long time to build. And I think that's primarily, you know, what gives us the credibility. And then building an interface that allows people to actually ask specific questions and get specific answers. Again, that's not easy. So, so you know, I look back and think, Jesus, it took us a long time to get where we got to. But, but I can go back over every year and think, oh, yeah, I know why that took so long. It was a challenge. Um, and now, we've, now we're in a position where we're looking at other data sources and then bringing those into social. So, for example, um, you know, uh, looking, it's a beautiful day today. What, what effect does the weather have on behavior patterns of, of people and what should companies do about it? So overlaying locational weather data with, with social and, and, and transactional data gives other insights, gives, you know, brings out other patterns of kind of behavior and other patterns of, of, of topics that, that, that companies could act on if, they, if they're nimble enough. So, you know, that's just one example. There's plenty of others. I always find it interesting when sort of companies like yours that deal with so much data actually have an international presence in multiple languages and different cultures and slang. And mm. How hard is that for you guys to filter that in? The, well, the machines don't know what language it's in. in, right. in other, I mean, you, they, they kind of, we've got this kind of language um, language identification software which says, okay, this is Norwegian or this is English. But... but but that doesn't mean the same thing to a machine as it does to you and I. Um, then it's just a question of applying some specific analysis to that, like sentiment analysis, for example, is language specific. But um, entity extraction, so looking at topics of conversation, that's language agnostic. It's just looking for common phrases. Um, uh, so that, from a technology perspective, it's actually not, not much of a problem. But when, it, when you look at the marketplace and the cultural nuances between, say, like our, our big three markets, UK, Germany, and US, very, very different. Like the US is ahead, and the marketing department, most of our customers are market, marketers. Um, the marketing departments in the US are night and day different from, say, Germany. You know, I think there's, there's over 100 companies with almost 1,000 marketers in them in, in the US. There isn't one in the UK, and I don't think there's probably one in Germany. I don't know the data on that. But, right. but it's a big deal over there, and, and a lot of this stuff is done in-house. There's big budgets. They're very, very smart people kind of you know, bringing data science into the marketing uh, kind of uh, discipline. And you see that with websites and e-commerce and all that kind of stuff. But now it's moved into social and, and all the other kind of marketing disciplines. Um, so in the U.S., we can have very kind of advanced conversations with these guys because they're smart and they get it. Whereas in someone like Germany, which is, which is a little bit, um, I guess, behind time-wise on the kind of the, 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 the curve... Then it's more educational. We're dealing with a smaller subset of companies that really understand, you know, what's going on here and what they want to do about it. So, so, and then there's the cultural differences. You know, um, the UK and England. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed when we when we when we when we went to the to the US. Sorry, US and England. When we went to the US, um, we had a guy. I, I, I took our head of sales in the U, in the UK and kind of exported him. and said, right, you are a startup guy in New York, and within. A month, he was like, you know, there are some big cultural differences over here, <laughs> even from Britain to yeah, to huge. <laughs> like, like you don't say you don't say Happy Christmas in the US. Um, say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You, well, no, you say oh. Happy Holidays. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's and there are so many things like that 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 are just subtly different. And if you get it wrong, you can. It's a bit of a snafu. You just don't want to do it. So, so we've learned quite a lot about uh, doing business in the US uh, versus the UK. It's, it's, it, it, there are a lot of subtleties there. You went to the U.S. pretty quickly, right? We went to the U.S. towards the end of 2011, um, which is kind of four years after launch. So, I mean, you know, me, for a U.K. company, I guess medium. Um, 
but we realized that the market is 20 times bigger and 20 oh, I reckon, it's always 10 yeah. but 20 yeah i think it's 20 okay you know? bigger um, than the uk or yeah bigger than the uk okay, so i mean five times the population 20 times the size i the would market. say yeah, um right. something like that uh especially in marketing you know there's a lot more money in marketing in the u.s than there is here you know per capita um so and we and we, th- we realized that all of the competitive companies for for us were north american and they had this natural advantage of being operating in a market that was like 1020x what we had. And, and the natural economics of that is just even if we're just as good as them, they're just going to get bigger, quicker, accelerate away, hire more people, outmarket us, outdevelop us, you know, and then and we'll end up, you know, being an also rand. It's, it's the pattern. You see it across the board. As a startup, you mean? As a startup. Okay. Um, uh, the, the natural economic advantage to being in the U.S. with one one market speaking one language, one you can do, you know, you can sell to people in a straightforward way, is massive. So we thought, you know, if we're going to be serious about this, then which you know we were, then we need to be in the U.S. So so that was a real you know punt, as it were. But uh, but the guy that went over there for us um, has just done an amazing job. You know, literally, he's just been an entrepreneur um, within an existing company, and um, and we incentivized him pretty heavily. Um, and he nailed it, you know, and, and now there's, now it's, 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 I think as of last month, it's our biggest market. So four years later from pretty much zero, it's now our biggest market and, what, it, w- and it will continue to accelerate. What have you learned from the Yanks? If you had to boil it down to a few sentences, um, go big or go home. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's ambition. It's, you know, literally if you see something that is, uh, he, I'll, I'll use a little fire analogy. If, 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 if there's a little smoke on there or a little bit of flame, pour the fuel onto it as quickly as you possibly can. Or someone else will. Or someone else will. And the fuel is money in this the analogy? The fuel is money in people and, <laughs> and marketing talent and, and, and talent right, right, and all right. of that stuff. Okay, so the Yanks see that, they smell it. And oh, they yeah, go for and, it and, and, and uh, the investment community over there gets that. And if you can prove that there is a little bit of a spark and there's a little flame, you can get you can get the, the fuel to put on it. Whereas over here, the, the investment community, at least back then, needed a lot more proof, much more data points. There you know, many a forest more data fire points. going on. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I'm yeah, not yeah. quite convinced that that's yeah, going to yeah, make yeah, it yeah. this way. Right. Will <laughs> this continue? Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. It'll go out. It'll yeah. go out. Um, talk to me about this fire hose because my tech guys all want to ask, how did you get access to the fire hose? Is the fire hose all that? And like, what did you do with it? So... Um, Twitter have certified maybe a handful of products in our space, and, and we're one of them. So we just built a relationship with them. So you know, we got to know them. We showed them our product. They're quite you know, a classic kind of San Francisco company. They're very product-orientated. So if you show them a product that, that they like, then you've got their attention. Um, and if you're reasonable people to do business with, then, then there's nothing really stopping you. Um, and we had a good product. So, so they liked that. They liked... They liked our metrics, you know, we were already buying quite a lot of data and they were like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you guys going. But they've since acquired a company called Gnip, which, yeah. um, which is Ping Backwards. That's what their name, that name comes from, you know, like the, ping the machine ping that goes Ping. Okay, Gnip. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think they're going to innovate. They're going to be doing some, you know, uh, Product innovation around around data over the next few years, which is which is interesting. Um, so, so potential I, competitor to you? Um, uh, maybe I think unlikely. More 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 likely that they will. There's other data that Twitter have that isn't in the firehose. Um, it isn't in any of their data products right now, such as um, kind of follower graph or um, whether people have actually seen a tweet. And I, and I don't know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. guessing that, that, that the way they get that is if you're logged in and, and you're following somebody that, that tweets something, then there's an assumption that you've probably seen it, or at least okay. you're likely to have it's so crossed your path. Other data that so they've got other go data, the and they're going to bring that to market, I imagine, over the next few years. So is, that's going to be helpful to everybody, I think. I think they wouldn't want people to see that data of how many people are actually seeing tweets. Cause they now, would, because now I think just so many tweets. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if you're following five thousand people. Yeah, how many tweets? You know, what percentage? It's of those a good tweets question. I mean, I, I have that problem myself. So, I think I follow maybe three thousand people, right. and you can get totally lost in that, right? Yeah. So you can lose half an hour just kind of sifting through, and rather than go and manage your follower list, which is a bit of an effort, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you, you kind of you wait for stuff to find you in a funny way. That Twitter have got this new discovery. It's not that new, but this discovery thing, which I think is helpful. So to try and distill these big streams into interesting, interesting bits of data. And actually, we're working on something a little bit similar, not just for Twitter, but for the for the whole web, where we're trying to pull out unusual. So we've got this new thing that, that we're kind of we'll be launching in about three or six months, where we're taking a, the whole stream, the whole kind of web stream, and depending on what it is you're looking at, you know, what, who you work for and what stuff you're interested in, um, will uncover unusual patterns of information. So this thing has been um, shared by four or five influential people. It's a related product to what you guys do. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of, of it's like, guys, you should probably look at it. And it might not bubble up to the top of the stream naturally, but it, actually there's something going on there um, with the kind of network effects and so on. So we're, we're working on something a, a little bit similar um, which is, you know, it's an interesting area. And you use that fire hose in a big way for your clients over the yeah. last like four years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you use it just for that kind of a real time, like today. It's a warm day in London. What are people doing? Are they spending money on World Cup events? Are they not? Are they at this retailer? Are they at that retailer? I mean, some stuff like that. Is yeah, that I mean, do? the um, the 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 client. It comes back to you know our customer base. So we've got about a thousand customers and they're they're looking at it's a platform right so they they use it to look at whatever they're interested in so rather than us doing stuff we build the 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 platform to allow them to do it so if they want to look at something that that's interesting to them if one of them's sponsoring the world cup then they're they're going to be looking at the world cup stuff the whole time and trying to figure out whether their messaging is getting across or whether they're getting any exposure sponsorship whatever so yeah makes sense what do you do with $22 million? That's the question of the hour. And were you going for that money? Were you looking for less? Uh, or is this, I mean, this seems to be the days of big raises. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, tell me about that raise. Yeah, so we, we were um, in, when did we do it? Like a month ago, just over. Um, we, were, we, we just traded back into profit, right? So, the, the, I mean, a classic SaaS, um, SaaS curve is hopefully... The revenues double each year, the kind of give or take, and and so you've got this kind of exponential revenue line, but some of that stuff, certainly in the B two B land, where you're you've got a lot of marketing expense and sales expense, um, you know the costs kind of lead to the revenues. Right. So you go this kind of hockey stick, hockey stick of of cash, where you're dipping down into negativity, and then what what happens? So you have this hockey stick there, and then you get to this position where you break even, and and then you have a decision, which is do we um, use use organic growth? Do we ca- do we spend the money that we're making um, to grow organically, like Amazon kind of style, or do we um, double down and, and raise again and do a classic kind of U.S. model way where you raise a B and a C uh, and so on? Pour so the oil on the, the, the more and more oil onto that <laughs> massive that's, furnace. That's, uh, that's why we don't hear those letters B and C over right. in the UK, right? Yeah. We just don't hear that. But no. that's the classic US model where you're in the valley and you need a big more chunk of chain to pour more oil on the fire. Yeah, so you so you have things like um, double down on marketing, launch new products, build new products, get, move into new markets. You know, our head of sales in, in the in the UK went over to China uh, last month. And came back, you know, fizzing. I mean, I've never seen her so kind of frothy about the opportunity uh, in China. I mean, it's a, d- a difficult or challenging place to do business, but the scale of the place is just insane. And we don't have any really big customer uh, competitors in China. You know, there's no there's no global players coming out of China in our space. So, you know, opportunity, but that's not going to come cheap. You can't just you can't take 50k and just open an office in China and expect it to ha- work, right? So, so there's all of these different things, um, and then and then we're seeing competition increase and incre- not necessarily by volume, but it's the leaders in the field are get you know raising money. They're getting more aggressive. They're trying to kind of outmarket outmarket us. We're we're in a, a couple of companies in the US, some very big companies where we sit alongside. A pseudo competitor, a competitor, that, a company that does something very similar to us, like um, o- online engagement, like you know, um, and and they're you know they're trying to elbow us out and say you know we we're gonna we we've got this whole listening and an analytics piece as well, and it's like well you know we need to defend ourselves against stuff like that, um, and you need you need resource to do it. So 
So we, we raised in 2012 um, about $6 million uh, with, with a kind of a plan to double and double. And, and, and we, did, we, we did that in 13 and we're on track in 14. And we just thought, okay, we've, we've achieved that goal. We've got back to break even. Do we kind of carry on trading and, and realistically expect to get bought out in the next 18 months? Or do we go for a, something slightly bigger and say, look, we're going we're gonna to go long term here. We're going to think three to five years. We're going to move, you know, go towards a, a, uh, an IPO. If somebody comes along in the meantime and says, you know, we, we think it would be a great strategic fit to acquire you and so on, that we obviously, you know, you look, listen to that. But we decided let's, let's grab the bull by the horns and let's take, let, let's take responsibility for our own future. And the way that we're going to do that is, well, we need more cash. Um, so it's for infrastructure, it's for more development, and it's for international expansion, and, and maybe a bit of M and A. Um, so we've got a kind of a little, uh, we've got defence on the balance sheet now, but we've also got some ability to go out and um, get a bit aggressive in the market. Interesting to hear. Trying to be know. more American. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Were you hesitant, or were you for that big raise? I was for it. You were for it. I was okay. for it. And and the guys that the, the 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 VC that we had up for our Series A. Um, they're called Nauta Capital. They're out of Barcelona. Um, they're really good guys, but they're quite small and they don't really have a U.S. footprint. So I wanted a U.S. You know, a, or a global VC. So the guys that we've got now, we're, they're, they're investing out of their European fund, but they're headquartered in Boston. So, and they've got an office in Shanghai as well. So, so they're, they're a big U.S. VC, which, is, which gives us the ability to scale if we can continue to deliver on, on the business. How many employees are you at now and where will you be in two years? 220, 500. Okay, look at that. Spoken like a true CEO. Double down. There we go. That number. That's a lot of hiring. Yeah, it is. Jesus Christ. We've got, yeah. we've got um, four, soon to be five people out of the 220 just in recruitment, and, and they're maxed. Yeah. So it's, it's brutal. Hiring is brutal. And I was speaking to, we just hired somebody from Google um, to run revenues from the UK, um, and she was saying that uh, for every opportunity, every job that Google has, they get about a thousand applications. Right, to work at Google, that's, right? Yeah, I heard that yeah. from someone. So, um, and we get 50, 100, for, for the creative jobs, a couple of hundred, um, for the developer jobs, 50, you know, and so we, we have to, you know, and it's a great place to work, like all the, all the, the glass door schools on, on the kind of employee satisfaction of right up there, like 4.8 out of 5 or whatever it is. For you guys. So, for for you. us. So we yeah. built this Nespresso really sweet culture. Yeah, we've got espresso <laughs> machines. You can steal them and we won't tell yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, the capsules. Um, uh, so, you know, it's a great, people don't leave. There's a great vibe in the company. We're trying to do something cool. Um, and yet it's really hard to, to get that you know, flood of inbound talent um, applying. You know, hats off to Google, they're an extraordinary company. But, um, but for the rest of us, we actually have to go, you know, try and source great talent. That's in London or in New York and San Francisco too? It's easier in New York. Is it? Yeah. I mean, New York's are so big, right? Um, in Brighton, it's challenging. Like, Brighton's only 250,000 people. Um, beautiful place. Beautiful place. Yeah. There's a beach <laughs> with rocks, stones. With <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> beach in the world. Although well, fellow Brightonians would kill me for saying that. You know, Canadian going down to the Brighton. Yeah. Like, what oh, is like, is like, that? Let's go rock climbing. <laughs> I've never seen that before. What? Been, I know, it's yeah. awful. No. I've been a few times. I just. Uh, yeah. I really like it. Yeah. I, can't, I, can't, I can't get it yet. <laughs> I've never been shown around by a local. I no, come down. I'll show you around. There's some cool little places in Brighton. They really are. The locals love it. Yeah. and But that's the reason why we opened in Berlin because Berlin's a city of three million people and there's a big tech kind of scene over there so we were kind of realizing that if we wanted to double the the engineering team in Brighton from say 60 to to 120 over the next 18 months we were going to struggle you know I was going to have to poach people from companies who which are run by friends of mine which is like that's not cool so so and it's a small place so so we thought where do we go and we did some analysis and we chose berlin um and the dev team in berlin is already kind of 20 people so so it that's that's our kind of uh, our kind of growth strategy for engineers and what about you i mean can you realistically stay in brighton or do you need to think about san francisco or new york i'd you know i'd love to go to to the u.s and and frankly i think that the investors would would love me to 
I have three children from a, from an ex marriage, and I just I can't walk away from that. So um, I'm staying here. Fair enough. Um, it's London Technology Week this week. We've had everybody here. We have Bloomberg over here at at, uh, at Central Working yeah, you know, right. with James Layfield that we had in here a couple weeks ago. Um, what, what do you think the state of the union is now in the London tech sector? When you when you're in San Francisco and you're telling people about London, mm. are you are you being like a proud father and telling you everything that's going on, or are you justifying uh, your your redheaded stepchild for well, staying in the family? <laughs> San Francisco is so um, so self kind of referencing okay. that um, I don't see anything outside. No, really, you know. I mean, San Diego is you know another world. Um, New York is kind of meh kind of thing. Okay. London is like, well, isn't that part of Europe? Uh, so, so, so there's sure. so there's a little well, bit of that. New York is a bit different, you know. New York, London, I think, have a similar sort of thing going on. Yeah. Um, I think it's great what's happening here, and I think picking a location is was really smart. Um, you mean like as in the roundabout or exactly, tech city or something? Exactly. Okay. Um, Interesting. But one of the things that um, we don't have here, which is going to take time to build, is really a really strong ethos of product development. Um, there aren't many UK product companies. Um, they're beginning to emerge right now, like we're one of them, and there are others. Um, and there's an ethos around building a product, which is different to being an agency, right? London's massive in the agency world, and, and you've got you know, groups of, of developers and creatives building stuff in those agencies, which are kind of cool, but they tend to be one-off things, you know, campaign-driven sorts of things. Okay, so an agency would be like a marketing campaign. Exactly. A product is, like, a, is yeah. like a, a, something you use, like a software product. A product is, like, if it's a B2C, then, then you know, there's probably an ad, ad revenue stream associated with it. If it's a B2B, there's probably a subscription revenue stream. Um, okay. And it's one thing that, um, that gets bought by lots of different people. Okay. Um, and it requires uh, a different mindset. It requires finance because it takes a while to build the first version and get it monetized before you actually start to see the returns. And it also requires um, some product management skills. People who can understand how to build products, can, can design them, can see that through to, to execution. And you know, when we were looking for product managers, um, you know, there might be, for every one that, that is in London, there's probably 10 in New York and there's probably 1,000 in, in San Francisco. So, uh-huh. so that, you know, San Francisco is the place where products get built um, and, and London is, is nascent in that area. So, that, so I think... How many in Berlin, happen. out of curiosity? A half? <laughs> no, no, Berlin's more than London. Oh, really? Okay. You know, you've got, you've got people like SoundCloud in Berlin. Okay. And, um, you know, the, Berlin, I would say, is New York, maybe, maybe halfway between. The Germans are good at manufacturing, so yeah. they're probably good at product, yeah. building products, right? right. Yeah, there's, and I think it's, Berlin's a lot cheaper than London to live yeah, and, yeah. To, and, and to kind of have to, to actually find somewhere to live. So there's a lot of kind of um, struggling entrepreneurs, you know, young guys who who can't afford rents here and so on that, that of you know get, getting together in Berlin. But Berlin is a really interesting place for, for startups actually. I think it's probably the most interesting in Europe as far as I can see. But London's pretty damn close. But we need that takes years and years to be getting that product development. My mindset, worry with right? London is that you've got these big companies like Google, Facebook and Twitter that are kind of landing here and Google's built this huge development office in London. Well, I say huge, but I mean there's there's 4000 Googlers in London. They've got a lot of smart developers working for them, and they're not working for the startups, right? That's, okay. that's a challenge. And they're going to build... But they're not in Berlin. Like, Google aren't in Berlin. Facebook, I don't think, are in, have got much going on in Berlin. Why is that? I think American companies, they go to London first. Right. Okay. But it, it, we, we hear a lot of times that guys go spend a couple of years at Google or Facebook in the Valley, yeah. and then they come out and they work for a startup, yeah. or, or they start something up yeah. themselves. So yeah. You know, maybe we'll maybe start that'll happen in a few years. They get looked yeah. after. I've got some friends at, at Google, Google that you know yeah. they get approached the whole time to do startups right. and in London, and they're like, eh, you know, I, what about my free food and my option packages right. and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, no, it's you know, a cushy, smart. cushy game. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I've got to give that up. What, in fact, one of them was I was speaking to yesterday, and he said, um, you know, Giles, what's your opinion? Should I be looking at three, five x the kind of the the number for the startup to take account of the risk? Like, well, in, in equity or... Well, yeah, exactly. Okay, how right. do you define it? But, right. well, first, equity, salary, whatever it is, right. you know, how do you, getting to some idea of what this X is, you know, is, is a challenge. But, but obviously, 
It's a, it's a difficult equation to weigh up when you're right. getting pretty well paid and very well looked after. That's the question. Are startups paying that? I mean, if Google's paying you X, I don't know, it's probably six figures if you're a good developer. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the startup can't necessarily pay you 2X salary. No. They, they might not even pay, be able to pay you X in salary. Yeah, no, they'll probably no, pay definitely. you half X. Half, half X. X. So then you're really hot talking about some option back Big end. time equity. And then it's how good is the salesman is the guy. Exactly. Yeah. And the idea. And, and, is, right. and, and actually, from this guy's point of view, it's like, is there significant finance behind this? You know, right. I don't want to be here in nine right. months' time and running out of money. Right. And then have and to th- compete with a thousand people yeah. to get my job back. Too. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sucks. We, we've heard this before where it comes to like actually guys that manage projects and, and project managers um, where people are really looking for those guys because you yeah. might have the really smart developer and the smart you know ad guy but it, to get things done yeah. and like Silicon Valley has a life cycle even yesterday Kevin was talking about what I never think about the, um, the chip industry the, the, the real chip industry, yeah, yeah the silicon in Silicon Valley yeah, yeah. like they've been doing that since the 70s and yeah. 80s then you had the, the hardware boom and then the software boom yeah. like they're, and then social boom yeah. Right now, social media, they've been building products for many, many, yeah, many yeah. decades. Yeah. So I guess they're a little bit better. Yeah. Then and there's money, you know, because especially in the B to B to C side, like I, I can't. I, I was walking here and I was trying to think, I've, what's a B to C company that's come out of the UK? Um, and I couldn't really think of one. Wonga. Wonga. But is that a, is that a tech it. company? I, I, that's that's that's. They say it is. Yeah. With the real time I mean, credit scores and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's. Not sure. I think it's no. I think it's a bank with good tech, right? Mm. You know, I don't <laughs> see it as an innovative technology yeah. company. But yeah, yeah they, they were the. In fact, they were the only ones I could I really? could think of. But it's just one that came off the top of my head. Yeah, but you're right. Uh, right. But I can't think of many others. Mm. Um, and you know, why the hell is that? And and I think it's because it costs so much money to to get one of these things off the ground. Um, and there isn't that kind of appetite over here. Plus, you've got the 20x economics over there. So if it does get off the ground over there, then it's going to be 20 times bigger just naturally. So it's challenging. Building a B2C over here, I think, is really challenging. I'd love to see one. I mean, Spotify is probably the closest, but that's not British. Right. It is located in Sweden, right? Moshi Monsters, those guys are... Yeah, Moshi Monsters, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a big one. Spotify's got Sean Parker work, working for yeah, him, is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read some article about Sean, and he was like, he was like jet setting all over the world and consulting for Spotify and all yeah. that stuff. So I don't know if you I, spend. If I meet him, I feel like I'm just going to see Justin or... Timberlake. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? It's just like, yeah. I'm sorry, man. But... You're going to do a dance for me? Or what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. I guess, you know, whatever happens to him, you always were portrayed in that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, you know, it could have been worse. Could have been worse. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. sure. Yeah, How much yeah. time do you spend in San Francisco? About a week every two months. Okay. And, what, and do you like it there? I it, love it there. Why? God. Um, the city's beautiful. You know, it's got this incredible setting. Um, it's kind of, the weather's weird, but interesting. Okay. Um, and for a geek like me, you know, just getting the 101 or the, or the Caltrain down, down into the valley, you just go past, there's the Oracle campus, there's the right. um, Salesforce campus, there's the, you know, the Facebook. Well, you can't see Facebook and Google from the, from the road, but you know, these things are iconic. And, and it's all there. Like, we were driving around uh, the peninsula, and um, the person was, was like, oh, look, is that, is that Firefox? Oh, yeah, there's the Mozilla building right there. LinkedIn's right there. Yelp's there. We went to the Twitter building. It's just, you know, it's, it's so, it's mecca for tech, right? And there isn't anywhere else, sadly. But it, that's why I love it. Right. No, and it happens to be a beautiful city, right? Right, on top of that. What, what do you think we're going to do right in London? I mean, you talk about we've got to get down to products. But, I mean, do certain things excite you in fintech or in other pieces where you think we're Fintech's going to... Fintech's definitely... I mean, it's, there's a natural win here because of the financial services industry in London. So okay. I would hope that we can build out some fintech stuff here um, and have a natural advantage over, over almost anywhere else. Yeah. New York, maybe, but um, would be close second. But I think that's a big opportunity. Um, I'd love to see uh, some more early stage investment stuff going on. So I, I met with one, I was saying before we went on air, I, was met, I met with one of the venture partners at 500 Startups. They've invested in 780 startups um, in, in, California, in San Francisco. 780 out of this one fund. Over how long, roughly? Do you know? Five years, I want to say, and something like average that. Average investment. The average investment, twenty-five, fifty thousand dollars. Okay. And then of those ones that they invest in, they they follow on for the top twenty-five percent. So they're building an internal market, and they do them in batches. So they're on batch ten right now, and they'll take thirty companies in a batch, 
or so, um, and they'll incubate them and they'll allow them to kind of hang out in their office and stuff. And then the ones that perform really well, they'll follow on and they'll introduce to the some of their LPs are, 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 are venture partners at other big bigger VC firms, so they get deal flow data from 500 startups. It's a brilliant model. Um, the kind of it, Y Combinator-ish. Yeah, exactly. Right. It didn't take much to get off the ground uh, financially. So I think you know their funds are kind of $20, $30 million. They're on fund three. Those aren't massive numbers, but they're just throwing a lot of, and, and I quote, spaghetti at the wall. And then they're, they're building an internal market, an start, internal startup market. It's so damn smart. Mm. Um, so I'd love a bit more early stuff over here. And as we see people like me and other kind of guys that have built companies that have got somewhere, you know, put, and then we can put some stuff back in maybe and, and mentor some of these guys and, and help them out. I think that would be um, fantastic if we could do that in London. What are your thoughts on Uber? Has it gone too far? I think Uber is an amazing product. I mean, you know, I use it all the time in, in America. Um, it's disruptive, right? You know, so you've got the London taxi scene that's going to have to give 10% of its revenues to Uber. We're not going to have to, but, it, but that's what it stands to. Um, With the CEO, just, CEO just came out, did you hear I that? I think it's 10, isn't it? Oh, really? Yeah. Is, is, that's what they're going to end up, I mean, giving them in market share? or Well, it's 10% of, of every revenue. journey. Yeah. Right? Oh, okay, right, okay, right, right, right. But what the CEO just said, uh, he, he'd use robots if he could. Oh, he'd use robots to, to, drive. to drive the car. And now all well, the imagine, Uber drivers Imagine are... Uber with self-driving cars. It's yeah. like, you know, mm. goodbye taxi industry. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were like, the Uber guys were like, and the guys, we'll uh, do, do, you know, do you know what the London cabbies have to do to, to get a license? Oh, yeah. They have to do this thing called the knowledge. Oh, the knowledge, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had Gary uh, Jackson on from Halo. From Halo, uh, yeah. Many months now ago, it seems. Who had done the knowledge. Yeah. And people don't know, it's, it's, yeah. you have to memorize the streets of London. It can yeah, take anywhere between insane. three and five years. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of them. It's becoming... And, and Google Maps has just kind of just obliterated that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. that, not to mention Google drivers. Or Google yeah, exactly. Google cars, right, so... Right. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I don't know Uber. I mean, he's got their very outspoken CEO, yeah. and uh, they say that's why he gets evaluations because right. he's not trying to be a taxi company. He's trying to be a logistics company. Right. He's thinking yeah. super big and he's really aggressive. And yeah. Silicon Valley guys love that stuff. They right? love that stuff. They love big disruptors, right? Hundred percent. They're betting on the disruptor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sure, sure. And a lot of them don't come through, but you know the ones that do. Mark Zuckerberg, for example, make a big difference. Come through big. Um, uh, Giles, we ask everybody a few questions here on the show always. I'm going to ask you uh, if you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old Giles Palmer uh, and give him a bit of advice, what would you tell that young man to do? So I'm 45 now. So I was 20 in 1990. Um, <laughs> I, I went through a kind of a classic English education. I went to a private school. And then I was 17 when I left school, and I happened to be good at science, so I did physics at university without really understanding why. I, you know, I had a great time at university, but I didn't learn very much. Uh, I came out, and I thought, what do I want to do now? Then I became an accountant. You know, physics, accountant, probably the most boring man on the entire planet. <laughs> um, uh, so I think I would have said, you know, take a step back and think about things a little bit more from your own perspective. What do you really want to do? Do you want to become an accountant? Probably not. Um, you're kind of a geek, you're into tech stuff, so go find where that stuff's happening. Go to Silicon Valley, frankly, because that's the only place it was happening in 1990, and, and try and get into something which actually interests you. I didn't get into something which interested me until I was 29, so I, I kind of screwed around in my 20s. I mean, not, not literally, I didn't do nothing, but I worked for boring companies doing stuff that didn't motivate me at all. And I, I worked for um, GlaxoSmithKline, it was called SmithKline Beecham back then, and I remember waking up one morning and thinking, if I don't go into work today, nothing will change in this company. I make zero difference to this organization. <laughs> I've um, had that realization. And, and, yeah, and, and I just thought, God, how awful is that? And, you know, I resigned pretty soon after that. But It's but, a good litmus test. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I don't come into work today, yeah. what kind of impact will that have? Exactly. And, 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 and how empowering is it that when you think, yeah, if I don't go into work today, stuff won't get done, people won't get what they need. You know, there's, that's such a different place to be. Um, so I would, I would encourage myself not to go down the, the well-worn routes. And I think, you know, being, the, the, back then in the 90s, there was this kind of, you know, you go to a private school, you go to, you go to a school, you, good school, you get good grades, you go to university, and then you go into the city. And so many, or become a lawyer. And so many of my friends did that. And 
Um, I'm glad I didn't. Well said. Uh, on that same note, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, my father was, uh, he's not around anymore, but, um, I remember asking him, um, when I was 17, you know, what should I do at university? I said, I'm quite good at physics. Um, what about that? He said, that sounds, that sounds good. You know, I said, what about engineering? I didn't know anything about it. I said, what about engineering? He goes, yeah, that sounds good as well. My dad never gave me any advice. And at the time I was so frustrated by it. I just thought, God, Jesus Christ, just give me some steering here, you know, help me out. Um, and when I look back, I think, you know, that's brilliant. The, from a paternal perspective, allowing your son to get, figure it out by himself, allow him to kind of make his own mistakes. And I was pretty headstrong and pretty stubborn. And I think he realized that, you know, if I tell you what to do and, and, and it's not the right thing to do, or if I give you a bit of advice and you follow it, and you, you know, that comes back to me. So it's kind of, you decide. So I like to think actually that no advice is the best advice. That's the first time we heard that. Absence of advice. I like is the that. Best advice. I like that. I like that's, a, it. that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, last part of that question is to the twenty-year-old listening around the world that could be in Shanghai, uh, who wants uh, you know to get involved in tech or to be part of the startup community. What do you tell them to do? I'm amazed at how few people actually contact me and and say, "Can I come and kind of intern with you, or can I come and you know spend some time in your office?" Yeah. I think just figure out who who you admire or what you think is cool and make a nuisance of yourself until they let you in the door. And it's amazing what happens when you get into an organization, you start talking with and hanging out with the people that are kind of making the decisions and making that organization work. And they're very big organizations, it's difficult to get to those people, but medium and small organizations, it's not. And, 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 and then you're off and away. So again, when I was younger, friends of mine, um, wanted to get into the film industry. And the only way into the film industry, as far as they were aware, and uh, therefore I was aware, was to be a runner. So you, it, was like, it was like a modern day intern. So you would, you would do whatever you could to be, get a runner job at a, at a production company in, in London. And you get paid nothing or very little. But gradually, after kind of six months, a year, you get to know the people. If you work hard, if you're engaging, if you show an interest, if it is your true passion, that will happen. And, and then you start to get stuff. And then within five years, you, you, you know, you're running a production crew or whatever it is, whatever the, what it is the company does. But I, I think, you know, make a nuisance of yourself. Go find somebody that you find inspiring and, and badger them until they'll let you sit in their office for a week and then, and then, and then refuse to leave. Be, be careful what you've just unleashed yeah, on exactly. yourself. So what's your email address? <laughs> no, I think that's Larry.page. <laughs> I think it's, that's great advice. And I think for small, you know, small, medium-sized companies to make that barrier of the decision to say, okay, fine, come in for a month or two yeah. is key. And so many guys now... And don't like, take no for an answer. First yeah. time somebody says, that, you know, we're too busy. Okay, when can I call you back? Right. A week, two weeks. If you call somebody back 10 times, they're going to say... Hey, okay, come and yeah. spend a come spend a week with us. That yeah. is true. I've had guys, you know, want here, be, for example. Yeah. Like if they did yeah, it to yeah, you guys, yeah. you'd have somebody in back, back here making coffee. I've had people do that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah. Cut you off. no, no. But it, it's so I've had people just interested in working for me and stuff, and they, you know, I can barely get them to come to my office for a coffee. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. and like I don't problem, understand what's with going this, on with this interconnected world. A lot of people will hear this and they'll just bust out an email, but that's right. all it is is an email. Right. Yeah. So sometimes you get a lot of this faux interest that has yeah. nothing behind it. No, you've right. got it. You've but got if you show up at the doorstep, you yeah. know, with a cover letter and a suit, yeah, and like, and you'd yeah. be like, oh Jesus, who's this? Yeah, and yeah, hundred percent. That's uh, that's day. happened like, maybe once in the last three years to me. Interesting. And generally speaking, you know, you'll you'll give somebody ten minutes, well, and well, if they and if they if they've got that keenness and that hunger in their eyes, and they're not a complete lunatic, you're like, okay, we'll find you something to do. I, I remember Giles knows? has twenty two million dollars <laughs> to spend. When I when I was running my when I was running my FX company, I remember this kid uh, from Australia. He pulled like a George Costanza from Seinfeld. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, I said no, I said no, and he just showed up the next Monday morning for work. Oh, is that what he's? <laughs> you're kidding? He's just like, yeah, yeah. How good is that? <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Which bit of no don't you understand? Yeah, no, and, you, and I was just like, all right. Is, is that him breaking right. up with his girlfriend? Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I, he's, he's, no, like, where he gets, George gets fired, but oh, he just ignores like, me. fired. Okay, he, okay. I disagree. Well, Don Draper, right? He just 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 Mad Men did the yeah, same thing. Right? Yeah, Kept yeah. showing up. So. But, you, know, I, you know, and he turns out to be one of my best, my best sales guys, right? Good advice. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. Look what we've just unleashed yeah. in the community. Well, hallelujah if we do, right? Yeah. Let's get motivation going. Yeah, no more of that, like... 
I don't know. Kids just come out these days. Yeah, and just think it's, it's you know expectation. Oh, just work, you work. Started the grumpy old oh, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, look at us. My age is coming, coming out. I got gray in my yeah. beard. <laughs> it's over. Kids today. <laughs> what about in America? Do you get people that do that in America, or not even there? No, not even there. But I, I imagine when we're not well known at all in America. But and, and I imagine that the firms that are do a lot, right? So I can imagine that Twitter get their door knocked on every day, right? So. It's it's it and that, that goes back to my earlier point. If you are a B two C company, you've got visibility with these with these young guys, um, which helps dramatically with your with your hiring. But so and and Americans are way more kind of ballsy and brash than than the Brits in a good way, in my opinion, because um, they get stuff done. They make things happen. Right. Well said. All right. Uh, you are hiring though, so if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Uh, lay us with your Twitter and email if you want, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm at Judo Nine, which is a slightly strange um, handle. I'll tell you about that in a sec. Um, and I'm Giles at Brandwatch.com. Okay. Yeah. So when I was uh, when my oldest daughter was five, um, she was in the bath uh, having a conversation with the fu- with the shower hose, like literally having a chat with this person. I said, so you know, who's it a mobile to? shower hose or yeah, just a landline? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my phone. Uh, one of these okay. things that you pull out of the bath. Okay. So she's having a chat. So who are you talking to? She said, um, uh, my friend Tilly. Okay. Um, and what are you talking about? Uh, her cat. I said, oh, what's her cat called? She said, what's your cat called, Tilly? Uh, it's called Judo Nine, Daddy. So I thought, what a crazy name. Nobody, <laughs> there's no way anybody's got that handle right now. So, so I decided, right, I'll be that. Um, Judo nine, and that's J O O T O nine. Yeah, you must have been an early adopter of Twitter. You're uh, one of those. Yeah, guys, that was right? probably oh seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I you know, tell, I was. You tell but I didn't really use it for the first year. But you know, and I didn't get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody got it to start no, with. Right? I don't get Instagram yet. I'm working, I'm working on that. <laughs> Work on that. You know, you can check your first tweet ever. There's like a little app that you can go in and it sends you back your first tweet. Oh, really? ever. Uh, it's a little creepy. Shows you the date, and you can see like what the hell. You can check anyone's first tweet. Actually, yeah. Anyways, there was one. uh, Was it the U.S. Army? No, there was one that came out recently. First tweet, which was really shocking. uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, it was really sweet. It was a really smart one. Maybe it was. uh, I should. I should know what I'm about to say before I. (laughs) I think it was the U.S. Army that came up with something. Anyway, it's quite telling. It's almost like a Mm -hmm. selfie because it's like the first time you would have used the service, and you're probably using it to say something that was important at the time. Yeah, yeah. This isn't your thousandth tweet, so you're not going to be like, "Oh, last night, man, man." You're probably going to be like, "Hello, Twitter," or "This is really special." I wonder what the average time between setting up a Twitter account and your first tweet was. Ah. Oh, back in the day. Back in the day. Because maybe that's interesting. You, if you actually set up an account, it's like setting up a soapbox to yeah. then say something. You'd think that saying something would be some, you know, irrelevant. I think they're pretty good, yeah. those tweets. Yeah. Um, Giles, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, this was a whole hell of a lot of fun. Uh, you know, uh, we never know who's going to come in here. Like, that's the crazy thing. We don't know if they're going to be fun or not fun. Or, <laughs> but this was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, it's a great story, man. I just hope you guys really kill it with this financing and, and everything like that. So as we say uh, on Silicon Reel, it's about the people. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, you can see our pretty faces on YouTube. Hope you guys enjoyed the stream. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, hello at siliconreel.com if you want to help. If you want to come be knock on our door. Yeah, come, come, yeah, knock on our door. Yeah. 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 There we go. We're going to end on that. Be that guy. Uh, Giles, all the best. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. How can anybody sign up, publish an event, and start selling tickets in a matter of minutes. We love the notion of people gathering. We really thought about uh, low friction. We want to be that cable TV of, of live experiences. We basically broke all the startup rules. It's fairly insane to go into a business venture with uh, your fiance. My advice uh, you know, to, to any 20-year-old or fledgling entrepreneur is to not listen to their parents. Do something really incredible.